Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So I'll tell you what, it feels pretty good to say that because as you may have noticed if you're a regular listener of the show, I've been away for a couple of weeks. First time I've actually had a break from putting episodes out for, well, two years since I started the podcast. I don't think I've missed more than one week uh, at the once I was ill. But other than that, I think I've been, I've been uploading an episode every single week. So yeah, um, apologies for the delay in, in this one. A couple of week hiatus while I started a new job. I did actually put that in the notes of the previous episode that I did. Um, so hopefully people caught that. I'm not sure if I mentioned it actually during the, the actual episode itself. But anyway, I've been starting a new job. My routine's quite a lot different. And the job that I've started, as much as it's, it's, it's very good and all looks very promising, there's quite a lot of things that I've had to get used to and put right and the routine is completely different to what I was doing before so it's just took a little bit of adjustment really to um to sort of get my head back in the game and uh, I've been I was so exhausted to be honest with you starting the job for the first week or so and then I got ill and then it's, it's mentally exhausting starting any job but I, I'd done my previous job for about 15 years and you start a new job after having done the same thing day in day out and it's yeah, it's quite mentally taxing, so I took it out of me, and then I got ill, and then, anyway, here we are, I am back, and I will just say as well, before I get further into any of the UFO news that's been going on, um, as a result of this new routine, some of the episodes that I'll be putting out might be a little bit more variable in terms of when I put the episodes up for a little while, just until I settle into this new routine a bit more. Um, I think eventually I actually will have more time um, with this new job, but it's just going to take a little bit of adjusting to, and usually I put an episode out every Friday religiously, so that might have to just be a bit more variable for the foreseeable, um, just until I, I kind of get everything a bit clearer with what my routine is. So I do hope you bear with me, uh, but don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, the podcast will continue and uh, we'll hopefully get things on a bit more of a regular schedule as we move along. So I thought this episode would be good just to go through a lot of the uh, pretty interesting events that have been happening over the last couple of weeks since I last did. The last episode we did was the roundtable episode, and since then there's been a few more kind of cases coming out that have uh, you know, got everybody talking on UFO Twitter again. And one of those was the Baghdad Phantom, which sounds like some kind of... <laughs> crazy ghostly comic book story or something um but apparently just to clear this up before i get into the actual case itself uh, that name isn't some kind of sensationalist name that's been put on this case it was actually something to do with the file name uh, as it was recorded by the military so i just wanted to put that in there because when i first saw this i thought ah, that sounds a bit over the top but that that's apparently where the name comes from so that's important to know about now, this was basically a case brought forward by um, George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell, once again on the weaponized podcast that they've been doing over the last uh, well, couple of months now, I suppose it is. And um, I'll go through a bit of information about the actual UAP itself. So what this was is basically a collection of, of six images 
which is taken from footage. It's kind of a similar situation to the Mosul Orb that I talked about that they also brought forward, where they're releasing stills basically from an actual video which has been captured. So we're told, but the video is not actually available. So these are six images taken north of the city of Baghdad uh, in Iraq, obviously, on the 14th of May, 2022. So this is quite recent, obviously. The video itself is seven seconds long, and it's like a cylindrical object described as a UAP, which is actually labelled, as I say, in the, the, the file title or in during the recording process as Baghdad Phantom UAP. And it's described by Corbell and Knapp as being under intelligent control in controlled flight, moving in a stable um, direction across the video from goes from left to right as you view the video and it's recorded on a FLIR uh, forward looking infrared camera and it's recorded by the US Air Force uh, and it's actually a Reaper drone which has recorded uh, this particular bit of footage and as I say we have been able to see the six still images from that video now some additional details provided by Corbell and Knapp about this are that it actually was not an isolated incident apparently in the area during a 24-hour period. There were multiple objects like this apparently. Again, we've not seen the, the videos of these or anything, but we're told as part of the information brought forward with these stills that there were other incidents as well within a 24-hour period. Now... The UAP themselves were apparently various shapes, so not all cylindrical during this particular event series. And the, there is corroborative data from multiple types of sensor systems which were used to record these UAP events in this 24-hour period. And that includes thermal imaging, uh, like the, the FLIR system, and also radar and other uh, sensor systems that have been used to actually pick up uh, the, the recording of these UAP. So, a very interesting case, and I think it is important to bear in mind some of that background data on this particular case, because, you know, when you look at the video, also the still from the video, should I say, I must admit it does look a bit like a missile. I mean, my first instinctive reaction when I saw it was, oh, okay, it just looks like a missile. We're talking about something over Iraq and so on. There's a strong possibility it could be a missile, surely, you know. But there are some good reasons as to why it may not be a missile. And I think it is important to bear in mind that this was part of, uh, you know, a 24-hour period in which other UAP were actually filmed as well. And the problem with this, though, is that we haven't got any evidence, any video data or any photographs of the other incidents We've not really got anything to back that up other than just that we are told that that is a part of, um, you know, this particular, this case. It fits into a wider uh, sort of 24-hour period of UAP being sighted. So I suppose you have to take that with a pinch of salt. It depends how much, you know, stock you put into what Knapp and Corbell say. Um, personally, I think they've got a pretty good track record when it comes to these kinds of things. So... You know, I, I personally think that that is worth taking into account, but obviously that's each to their own in terms of how much weight you attach to that uh, background data without seeing the footage or, you know, um, any other supporting data. Now, 
people say, you know, there's a lot of hype around these types of releases and things like that, and, uh, you know, there definitely has been some of that, but personally, I don't really mind the hype too much. I just, you know, you, you don't take it too seriously. Don't think that you're going to get in a smoking gun, and it's nice to have new cases, in my opinion. And again, you know, the kind of frenzy that erupts. I mean, again, some, some listeners may be on UFO Twitter and some may not be, so you might not know what I'm talking about here. But trust me, when a case like this comes out, there is a frenzy on UFO Twitter of everybody scrambling to try and find an explanation for it. Everybody from, you know, your sort of um, your debunker side, the sceptical side, all the way through to people who see any object and believe that it's a, a UAP craft everybody scrabbles around you know looking further into it trying to find background information people geolocating you know the video trying to find it on a, on a google maps and the location and i find all of that absolutely fascinating to be honest i don't have a problem with it i think it's great it's really interesting to see that kind of as i've mentioned before on the pod kind of crowdsourced you know investigation of a case and it's only going to you know if if the case is a legit case people really digging into it is only going to strengthen the case if people put forward you know like a hypothesis as to what it may be and that's a not a particularly believable hypothesis then you know you don't have to believe it do you people can come up with explanations for things and it's up to each person to look through the various hypotheses that are on the table and decide which is the more plausible um and in this case, I think one of the first things that everybody did jump to was missile. And I, I, I thought that myself. You look at it, it looks a little bit like a missile. But actually, having dug into it a bit more since then, I think that that may actually be a bit more complicated than that. So um, the various, what I would call good uh, skeptics, the rational skeptics, such as Chris Spitzer, for example, somebody I've mentioned before, does a lot of digging into these kinds of cases. And... Chris and, and others kind of now doubt that this is actually a missile, I would say. that's I think that's a fair assessment of the situation. Or at least there is some um, uncertainty about whether or not it's a missile because it doesn't really seem to appear exactly how a missile would appear on a FLIR system. And various people have been finding examples of missiles and rockets and things of that nature appearing on FLIR systems and they don't really seem to fit. And again, this is something that if you're an untrained observer, you might look at it and think, yeah, it just looks like a missile. But actually, it's, it, it doesn't when you really know what you're looking at. So the trail at the back, there's kind of a um, like a, a trail behind the object as it, as it travels along, which initially, when you first have a glance at it, does look like a, a sort of a propulsion trail, like an exhaust from the back of the, the missile. But it actually doesn't appear how a generally an exhaust trail off the back of a missile would appear. So Condor Man on Twitter uh, is actually an anonymous account, but uh, this individual actually works for um, uh, like a, a major defense contractor as an aerospace engineer, and it's somebody who I follow when it comes to you know technical analysis of, of videos. As a Chris Bits is an, another good account. Uh, to check out um, really kind of in detail analysis about all the technical specs of uh, sensor systems and these are both very uh, good people to check out if you're on twitter and you want that technical analysis um, and again you know very kind of logical and rational um, analysis of things sometimes they, they've come to conclusions on things that are not very popular you know and 
it, it, a lot of people are saying that something's obviously a, an alien craft and they look into it and they say, no, according to my analysis, it's not that. And they're happy to come to conclusions that are not popular as long as it's going after the actual facts and the truth of what's happened. So, and, and I've followed them both for a little while and generally I think they've got a very reliable analysis and, and good takes. Don't always agree with everything that they post, obviously, and you may be the same, but uh, I think it's good to, to get that technical analysis uh, from, from people actually in the know. Because uh, I'm just a bloke from Bolton, I don't know about sensor systems and things in that much detail, so it's it's good to you know get different viewpoints on this. Anyway, Condor Man says about this particular object, um, I'll just read the tweets out because they're, they're quite concise. So, quote, The object does not appear to have any conventional propulsion. The plumes behind it look like ghost artifacts. They are sized and shaped like the object and are transparent. Rocket and jet exhaust would be much brighter than the object. You can clearly see that here. And he posts one of the stills demonstrating what I've just said. And then he goes on to say, The object is either cold or the ground is hot. Can't see much of the ground. It could still be a missile that's gliding or falling because its engine failed. I read the Russian uh, 122mm BM-21 MLRS were in use at the time, but those rockets look thinner than the object shown in the picture. And the US Air Force has thousands of flare pics of Russian and Iranian rockets and missiles, and of course they know what ours look like. For them to classify this as a UAP means that the analysts saw something they could not fully explain. So I think, again, very interesting analysis there because it, it somebody who knows what they're looking at in terms of these sensor systems say no this doesn't look like what you'd expect a rocket uh, to you know to look like on that system and part of the reason is because the object appears to be cold which is generally because of the, the the friction of the object moving through the air that's generally not what you'd expect obviously the heat from the propulsion system as well so it doesn't really look like you'd think now there are a few other options there which you may have picked up on from what i just read out in the tweets perhaps the propulsion system had failed and the rocket was kind of in sort of free fall you know carrying on on its trajectory um, but not actually with a, a, an operating propulsion system. Let's say the, the fuel ran out or the, something failed with the propulsion system. So there is no heat coming from the back and it's just gliding along. But as we're told, this has come from uh, you know military personnel who are also familiar with seeing things like that. There are many examples of these types of uh, you know rockets and missiles and things. And they've come to the conclusion that this doesn't really make sense and it seems... Um, difficult to explain and again the other option uh, is is glide bombs that's something that many have, have mentioned now I'm not an expert on, on glide bombs I'm certainly no uh, you know, expertise in the area but I believe that a glide bomb is kind of like a rocket but it has sort of like wings and um, you know means of staying aloft without a propulsion system so it glides um, you know, like a, like a glider. Uh, you don't actually have like propellers or jet engine on it. It can just glide along, hence glide bomb. But again, it doesn't really seem to add up 
because you can't see any of those little wings or control surfaces and things like that. And again, Condor Man actually responded regarding the glide bomb uh, hypothesis and said, uh, quote, could be, but glide bombs have big control surfaces and are usually shorter. Plus, we have air superiority over Iraq. Any Iranian plane flying there dropping glide bombs would have been shot down, unquote. So again, you know, very interesting and i think one of the big ones that everybody is pointing to to say that this is a rocket is that exhaust trail coming out of the back but as it turns out it doesn't look like it is uh, an exhaust trail so it's a bit more meets than you know to this case that meets the eye i think it is basically the uh, the point that i'm trying to make here and what would be you know easily explainable as a missile if it was an exhaust plume doesn't really seem to be the case now, Tim McMillan did explain on Twitter that the black and white thing in terms of black hot or white hot is, is relative. And my understanding of it is, is that if the background is very hot, um, that can cause objects in the foreground to appear as not hot, even if they actually are a high temperature. Because the, the way that this system works is you can either have it set to black hot, where things that are high temperature... Um, appear as black or you can have it set to white hot where obviously the opposite is true things that appear that are hot appear as white now this is relative and it's to do with what is the hottest temperature being observed as to as to how that works so if the background is um you know a few hundred degrees then something that is say you know 50 degrees 100 degrees in the foreground might appear colder than what is in the background because it's like a relative display um and tim mcmillan had posted about the fact that if the ground was on fire in terms of um lots of uh you know fire and, and hot things going on in the background it would make the the rocket appear as cold which perhaps could explain it but again there's a lot of doubt being cast around that because why would the entire background be on fire it doesn't really make sense that that would be the case and there's certainly nothing to indicate that so it's worth bearing in mind but there is no concrete proof oh okay we know that there was massive fires on the ground at that point in time so that, that would explain it i don't think there's enough evidence really to to actually say that that's definitely what it was so very interesting and as i say i'm always thankful of new cases but yeah, I have to say, if I was going to be a little bit critical, I probably would prefer a bit more information with these cases. Um, like, for example, we know that this is these are stills from a video, but it would be nice to get the video. Now, I understand that you can't always get what you want. <laughs> so, you know, that's that is what it is. And I understand that. I understand that this is sort of designed to get the Pentagon as well to actually admit that this video is real. And for them to publish the video, I think, you know, Jeremy Corbell has got a bit of a track record of, you know, releasing bits of information and then getting the, the Pentagon to actually admit, OK, yeah, that is a video that we've got that we've been looking into and it, we, we have classed it as unknown. That's happened in the past with some of Jeremy Corbell's releases. And they've obviously took a bit of a different line now where the Pentagon don't seem to be reacting to the videos that get released. And I think there's a bit of a and aspects of this where Corbell and Napa are trying to get the Pentagon to react. They don't want to release the full video. They just want to kind of put some information out there so that then the Pentagon have to verify it. But so far, the Pentagon are not really reacting. So, and, you know, the, the other thing with that as well is that there are questions around whether or not these type of 
videos and, and this, this type of information around UAP cases is actually moving up the chain of command in the correct way. Um, and I think there's an... You know, there's a there's a tactic here with with Carbell and Nap where they're actually trying to put pressure on the Pentagon to make sure that these um, your chains of command in terms of passing data along are working as they should. And you know, at the end of the day, there is, as I've said many times, there's a huge amount of public interest, and you know, the the Pentagon, the military, the the whole government in America is funded by the people, and if the people want answers on this. The processes behind the scenes should be working to fulfil that um, desire from the people to, to give those answers. But then again, it's always a balancing act as to what can be done without damaging national security. So anyway, we'll see how this all plays out. But um, I personally would like to see as much information as possible because when you've got your your good um, you know, investigators and your good rational skeptics, we need to give them as much fuel as possible. Um, you know, if it's a legit case, we want just as much data and information to prove that it's a legit case. You know, and and if we really believe that it is a legit case, then the more information, the better to help to prove that. And I think obviously we're only getting a part of the picture. It's still a very intriguing part of the picture, but it would be best to get every single bit of information, perhaps some testimony. Um, and yeah, that, that is what it is. Another thing uh, that's been discussed a little bit around this is certain journalists, um, you know, perhaps being given a bit of preferential treatment to paint a particular picture for the public. And I think Corbell and Knapp have, have sort of hinted at the fact that perhaps Susan Goff, uh, the, the Pentagon spokesperson, is actually kind of reaching out behind the scenes to, to speak to certain journalists and that that might be a, actually a very serious concern. Um, and if that is the case, because obviously that's a departure from the previous kind of um, way of working where the, the, the Pentagon spokesperson, Susan Goff, was, was verifying the videos that, that Corbell was putting out. Now it's being completely ignored by Susan Goff um, and they can just basically go with the line of, oh, we can't confirm or deny anything. But there is, you know, a bit of a suggestion there, I think, from, from Corbell that, that perhaps... What Susan Goff is actually doing is is you know working behind the scenes with some journalists to put out a particular narrative and, and to paint a picture that is the picture that the the Pentagon would like the public to see. So I wouldn't like to go any further than that at this stage, but that's just again something to keep in the back pocket and bear in mind. And I think you know what we have to bear in mind with this case and the Mosul Orb case is that. You know, I have to say, I think these videos could be as big as some of the Navy videos if the footage came out and you got some uh, eyewitnesses. Now, it could also be a bit of a disappointing damp squib as well if that if the rest of the footage came out and the, the eyewitnesses came out. You know, we don't know. But I think, you know, you look at a case like the Nimitz case, the, the Dave Fravor Tic Tac Intercept, Imagine if you didn't hear from Dave Fravor, you didn't hear from Alex Dietrich, you didn't hear from all the other people involved in that case, Chad Underwood, Kevin Day, and all the rest of it, and you didn't even see the full Flare video. Imagine if you just saw a still from the Flare video. You wouldn't think there was much to it. But if you then take that still 
and then you get six stills from the Flare video. Okay, getting a bit more interesting. And that, I think, is where we are with the Baghdad Phantom. And then you get the full video, you start thinking, wow, this is pretty interesting. And then you get the, the eyewitnesses, the, the people who flew jets up to the object and saw it with their own eyes, multiple observers, all that. That's when it really starts to get interesting. And if we had that with the Baghdad Phantom, which bearing in mind, we may get at some point. You know, if it turns out that you get a couple of sensor operators, um, you know, who, who come out to actually give their version of what they saw during this event series and the video comes out as well, then we really are cooking on gas, as we say. You know, that, that becomes a very interesting case. At the moment, it's more of a hint of an interesting case. So we'll just have to see what, what comes of it. And I think it's very much the same with the Mosul Orb as well. All we've heard so far is that the people who've had access to the real full picture on these cases find it very interesting and haven't got a good explanation for it. So until we get that full picture and we start hearing from eyewitnesses and see the video and get some more of the data on it, it just remains a very intriguing case. And for me, my initial reaction was, oh, it's a missile. What are we looking at here? We'll look into it a bit deeper. Okay, there's some more to this. But I think that's about as far as we can go at the moment until we get that big picture. But still, I'm always happy to see new cases coming forward and we'll just have to keep an eye on it. Very much like I said with the Mosul Orb, you know, we'll see what comes of it. So far, there's not really been much, but I think time will tell on those cases. So that's enough on that one. And another quite interesting thing that happened, this actually happened right at the end of, uh, what would it have been, February. Um, John Greenwald from the Black Vault um, came forward with uh, some information about, uh, in tw 2021, a highly classified system within the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office uh, the United States, once again, where a lot of these cases are coming from. And something described as a small, which is apparently less than about 10 metres, tic-tac-shaped object, which did not match the visual signature of a typical aircraft detection. And apparently the system that was actually used to detect this object is a system called Sentient. Sounds like something out of a futuristic horror movie, um, but there we go. And, and this uh, particular program, Sentient, um, is uh, within the NRO. And all the details are extremely, um, you know, highly classified and whatnot. Um, but, you know... It, it is a, a highly advanced system uh, being used within in the NRO, which, which detected uh, this particular uh, object. So very interesting indeed. And the, um, the object itself apparently was quite similar to some of the other objects that were detected, you know, um, it, now the, the way that the wording of this is released is, the object, quote, vaguely resembled similar detections of airborne objects by U.S. Navy aircraft and surface vessels in the redacted and redacted operating areas, unquote. So we don't actually know, you know, where this object was detected and, and all the rest of it, but it sounds basically as though they are referring to the Nimitz case there where a Tic Tac object was encountered. And I have to wonder whether or not there was some kind of system in place during the time of the Nimitz event where it may or may not have been sentient 
And in fact, it probably wasn't sentient because according to a, an article um, that research related to sentient has been going on since at least October 2010 uh, when the, the agency posted request for sentient enterprise white papers. So it would appear that sentient itself wouldn't have been in operation at the time of the 2004 um, Nimitz case. But I wonder if there was a predecessor to that which would have been an extremely highly advanced sensor system, um, you know, that may have picked up something similar to the Tic Tac. And when we hear about things like the Nimitz Tic Tac incident and that there are other classified sensor systems that detected that um, that sequence of events, you know, perhaps that's the kind of thing that they're relating that to. But that's an article on TheVerge.com. Uh, if you type in The Verge Sentient article, you'll probably be able to find that full article, and it tells you all about the background of this system and, and all that, so very interesting. But the point is, uh, there was a, a presentation, uh, which was a, uh, it's like a, I think it was like a PowerPoint presentation released by uh, the, the NRO, and it actually links past uh, US Navy sightings and describes that this new object had a, a kind of a rough similarity to the previously reported tic-tac shape, which is most likely talking about the Nimitz, 2004 Nimitz encounter. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting little detail. And this same presentation also indicated that the object was, quote, likely not a sensor artifact or focal plane anomaly, although more in-depth imagery analysis is warranted, unquote. So for them to actually say that a sensor artifact was not likely, you know, that, that probably means that there were other systems as well which detected this particular object. So I, th I think it's a very interesting one. Again, we've not really got anything in terms of like a video or a picture or anything and, and all the rest of it, but another really interesting case to come out, and you can check out the full report uh, on the Black Vault website by John Greenwald about that particular case. And... Um, yeah, so that, there we go. Just another thing that I thought was worth mentioning and uh, one to keep an eye on. And we'll move on to uh, a draft paper which was released, uh, authored by um, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and uh, Avi Loeb. And this paper is entitled Physical Strengths on Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And it's basically like a co-authored paper um, and the abstract of that paper reads as follows. It's relatively short, so I'll just read the whole thing. Quote, We derive physical constraints on interpretations of highly manoeuvrable unidentified aerial phenomena based on standard physics and known forms of matter and radiation. In particular, we show that the friction of UAP with the surrounding air or water is expected to generate a bright optical fireball ionization shell and tail implying radio signatures the fireball luminosity scales with inferred distance to the fifth power radar cross-section scales similarly to meteor head echoes as the square of the effective radius of the sphere surrounding the object while the radar cross-section of the resulting ionization tail scales linearly with the radius of the ionization cylinder the lack of all these signatures could imply inaccurate distance measurements and hence derived velocity for single sight sensors without a range gate capability, unquote. So yeah, pretty uh, detailed there. But I think um, delving into some of the actual the contents of the paper. Now, 
I think there's been a few sensationalist headlines in the sort of mainstream media around this particular paper and things of the nature of like, uh, you know, Pentagon discusses alien motherships and things like that because there are some bits within the body of the paper after the abstract that I just read out uh, where, where they basically talk about the possibility of objects uh, coming into our solar system and then detaching um what you call a dan what what they refer to as like dandelion seeds so smaller like probe like objects which can detach from a main mothership in terms of exploring certain areas and um you know probes that basically kind of reach out to various different planets and detect what's on those planets and things now this isn't really a new hypothesis i remember like actually back in the olden days uh, you know, one of the first episodes I ever did on the podcast was a listener request from John Jr. I hope, you, hope you're okay, mate, if you're listening. And um, the particular episode I did was was referring to Avi Loeb's work on uh, Oumuamua, which was one of the things that really, you know, got me interested in, in Avi's work because I thought it was absolutely a, f- a fascinating case. And even though it's an old episode, I, I, did, I did put a lot of work into that. Um, and I think, I, I, as I remember, it's two years ago, but I think it was quite good. <laughs> so if you're interested in that whole concept, you might want to go back and check that one out. Um, but basically, Umumu was an object that was detected um, coming into uh, the sort of approximate vicinity of the, of the Earth. And initially, nobody really knew what it was. And then... Um, it got weirder and weirder the more they looked into it. As I say, I, I did a full episode, which is over an hour, I think, just on Umuamua, so I won't go into the details again now. But Avi Loeb basically sort of really stuck his neck out, and despite being quite a, a high-profile academic, he, he actually hypothesised that the most likely explanation for Umuamua is some kind of extraterrestrial uh, vehicle, which may have been... Uh, a currently active vehicle which is an exploration device or something like that um or it may be some kind of a relic you know of a, of a long long kind of gone civilization from millions and millions of years ago which is drifting through space but one of the unusual characteristics about this particular object was that it actually sped up at one point and it sped up and started to maneuver in ways that was completely unexpected and it had a very unusual shape and a really interesting object so uh, and i remember back then avilo was talking about that kind of hypothesis and that's two years ago so these new uh, sensationalist headlines i think are more to do with the fact that this paper is co-authored with sean kirkpatrick who is um the uh, the director of the Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office within the Pentagon. So um, it's got that kind of official attachment to it, which I, I think was uh, probably one of the reasons why they've done this, um, because they knew that it would, you know, the, there's a bit more weight attached to something if the Pentagon are involved. Uh, Avi, Avi definitely generated some headlines on his own, but he's kind of revisiting things that he, he really sort of already discussed uh, in that regard. And that tended to be the thing that a lot of the, the big headlines were all about, which, you know, don't get me wrong, it's good, it's interesting, gets people talking. And it also kind of goes into um, one of the one of the points in the, in the paper here is that, uh, I'll just quote from it, quote, are there any functioning extraterrestrial probes near Earth? We do not know, but the Galileo project intends to use the scientific method to explore this possibility. 
Following the 2021 report about unidentified aerial phenomena from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to the US Congress, the state-of-the-art suite of instruments and computer algorithms of the Galileo project will be able to study such data in the near future. The search for UAP and the characterization of UAP requires bounding the search plan with physics-based constraints on what we are searching for. This paper aims to constrain one aspect of the UAP hypothesis with parameters that govern the movement and interaction of a UAP with the Earth's atmosphere to eliminate or bound observational uncertainties. Some data collected to date, while arising from multiple sensors, have uncertainties in one or more dimensions, leaving the exploitation of the data with a significant range of interpretations. This inevitably leaves open the debate on what some objects are and whether or not they exhibited truly anomalous behaviour. Specifically, if some observed UAP are of extraterrestrial origin, there are some practical limits on the interpretation of observed and measured data resulting from physics-based constraints. So that kind of leads me on to, despite all of the openness to um, you know these kind of uh, hypotheses that many wouldn't dare to consider in terms of extraterrestrial vehicles and probes and motherships and all this kind of thing, which is obviously what a lot of the... Um, the headlines are focused on which as i say is, is quite a good thing really it gets everybody talking it's you know the pentagon have an official who is is working on a paper that discusses these things is quite interesting in itself but there are a few slight concerns here that that i have kind of thought and also i think other people have, have brought up too and one of those is that I do slightly wonder how it works with avi Loeb working closely with the arrow office in this way now, obviously, there are positives to that, as I mentioned just now, but it seems perhaps a little bit of a departure from his initial insistence to kind of keep separate and away from anything government-related and classified so as to be completely transparent with the public. Now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't suggest like a direct concern in this area because when Avi has, has said things like that in the past, it does relate more to like data, so the, the, the Galileo project want to collect their own data so that none of it's classified so that they can be transparent with the public. But, you know, it's an area to keep an eye on that there is definitely a close working relationship there now with um, with the Arrow office and the Galileo project. I mean, how one might influence the other, you know, remains to be seen. But I did think that was just something to, to, just to watch out for. And I think the other thing is... There seems to be a little bit of an assumption here, despite kind of like Avi's um, willingness to consider these hypotheses, he seems to be slightly less willing to consider physics that we don't yet understand. And I think that has been a bit of a concern. I think what he's trying to do is to kind of place these anomalous sightings into a box of physics based on what we currently understand. And as we probably... I think all agree there's definitely aspects of our reality and our physics and the way that the universe works that we don't understand yet and perhaps if these things are based on some kind of much more advanced intelligence than us it's probably likely that they've also discovered some other aspects of how the universe works and that's what their technology exploits and I think there are some sort of seemingly sort of assumptions that you know these things don't you know comply with the laws of physics as we understand them so there's probably errors there 
you know, it's probably not what it seems and, and things like that. And a bit of an unwillingness to think outside the box in, in that particular regard. So there's a particular uh, sentence that I wanted to pick up on in that way. So it says, quote, electronic probes employing conventional chemical propulsion and refueling that we currently understand would be a likely choice for travel within a planetary system unquote and i'm just not so sure really if we can make those kind of assumptions i mean like isn't it better to just leave everything on the table in terms of what type of propulsion systems you know might be used by an ultra advanced extraterrestrial intelligence and also we don't actually know whether they are extraterrestrial as well to me i don't know i'm a bit unsure about some of those aspects i think avi is saying in a lot of this paper and avi and sean obviously is a co-authored paper that you know the things like the 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 friction caused by an object moving so fast would create like a heat signature and things like that well that is only based on the way that we assume that these things would work what if our assumptions are completely wrong and you know there is a lot of discussion about how um that you know theoretically these objects might work in terms of propulsion systems and you know if uh, some kind of you know gravity or what bubble type thing is being used and i know that's all far out stuff that we can't do yet and all this kind of thing but you know there's a lot of far out stuff that we do right now that we couldn't do 50 years ago. You know, I, I just think basing things on the current understanding of propulsion systems and what, what you'd expect things to look like, it might not be thinking outside the box quite enough. And that's a little bit of a concern. However, I know Avi has said this in interviews multiple times as well in the past you know, if you're going to look into something and study something scientifically, you have to stay within the kind of existing frameworks that we have of our understanding. So I kind of see it from both sides. There's a few little concerns there, but at the same time, I'm glad these things are actually being discussed by academics and papers are being worked on. And yeah, we'll just, again, it's another one to just keep an eye on, but interesting discussions and I mean, again, it, it you know this year is super interesting because you know I remember saying at the roundtable we did at the end of last year, you know, oh, twenty twenty three looks like it could be a really interesting year for uh, UFOs, and well, so far so good. You know, we've we've had UFOs being shot down all over the mainstream news, which again may or may not you know turn out to be anything. We're probably not going to hear anything about those for a long, long time. Um, but you know, still extremely interesting to see that kind of thing and and the discussion that that has generated as well. And and I suppose just while I linger on that particular point for a moment as well, it just goes to show how unwilling they are currently to be transparent on issues to do with UAP, because that is just not what the Pentagon want to do. They don't want to be transparent. And the proof in the pudding here is the sources and methods thing that we hear about all the time oh we can't release any high quality footage from our drones or from our our aircraft because it's it would simply compromise national security well if that's the case why on earth have they released hd footage within a day or two of it happening of a russian jet taking down a, a drone uh, if you really can't release any footage from any of your aircraft 
because it it compromised national security and sources and methods and things of that nature. How have they just been able to do that then? Because the footage on that drone is super high quality as well. And it just goes to show how advanced some of these cameras and, and sensor systems on these platforms actually are. And it's funny, isn't it, that they were able to release that and that gives away, I would imagine that gives away certain technical details of what they're able to observe with these systems, you know. Um, and, and they did that because they wanted to obviously make the point that in this case, you know, that Russian jet did actually come within very close proximity and it's quite clear to see uh, the behaviour of that Russian jet towards the drone from the video. But my point is, they were quite comfortable releasing that video to make that particular point because it suited the narrative that the pentagon wanted to put forward which is that the russians were doing this and this and but you know when it comes to just being transparent with the public about the the very real desire for answers on what uap are and how they're behaving there's there's no willingness to release footage and the footage itself clearly doesn't give away anything with sources and methods because they just released one two days of within two days of an incident happening they release footage so why can't they release footage of the shoot downs of those objects makes no sense and it may be that those objects were completely prosaic you know but why not why not just release the footage then you know it, it's really baffling to me and again they released uh, the, the the balloon thing the chinese spy balloon they released a, a selfie from the pilot took a picture of himself with the balloon in the background a few days after the incident happened, but then they just flat out refused to release data on other things. It's really quite baffling to me why, how, they, how they can get away with that and how they think that the public are just going to turn a blind eye to it. But obviously, this is why we kind of push for transparency on, uh, on these issues. So moving on then, just to kind of wrap up, uh, there's another uh, excellent article, uh, in my humble opinion, on uh, Liberation Times by uh, Chris Sharp, who many of you may recognise from being a bit of a regular contributor to, to this podcast as well. He's made quite a few appearances now, Chris, and um, somebody who I do keep in touch with behind the scenes as well. Um, but, you know, Chris has uh, has been actually kind of working with uh, Corbell and Knapp uh, to, to release many sort of um, companion articles to the releases uh, of, of the data that, that Corbell and Knapp are bringing forward on the Weaponized podcast. But also, Chris has got a very um, a well-established source network um, and often has a... I always joke that he's crystal ball Chris, that you know he can see the future because he often gets you know very interesting information through sources and uh, I, I would suggest that his, his track record on those things coming to fruition is, is actually very good and Chris has been um, you know keeping on top of the the progress with whistleblowers um, coming forward regarding UAP legacy programs and also progress towards more hearings and, and things of that nature so uh, an article recently uh, published on Liberation Times actually describes some of this progress and uh, this actually relates uh, in part to um, a, a republican representative in the states who i believe is a bit of a controversial uh, politician but i don't really know that much about u.s politics so um you know there's no sort of allegiances from me with this and as we all know i think actually the uh, the uap issue has been a remarkably uh, bipartisan issue but as I mentioned on the show a little while back, there is the danger of this becoming slightly more of a politicised issue as we move forward. And I do hope it continues to be bipartisan. 
and um, you know I, I I'm just trying to look outside of the typical Democrat Republican allegiances. Being from the UK, I don't actually really know about the track records of many of these politicians, but it is still very interesting to hear a Republican representative. In this case, it's Matt Gates. I think I'm saying his name right. Who is a member of the House Armed Services Committee also, and uh, in a, a Newsmax interview hosted by Rob Schmidt, um, there's actually a, a clip played featuring this particular uh, Republican representative, Matt Gates, and uh, in the full version of that discussion, Gates actually speaks about evidence of a mysterious craft that did not appear to belong to the U.S., its allies, or adversaries. And uh, these quotes that I'm about to read out are taken from the Liberation Times article by Chris. So uh, thanks to Chris for a great article. And you can read the full thing on liberationtimes.com, of course. And um, so the quotes are as follows. Quote, I have seen evidence of craft that I am not familiar with. Any of our allies or adversaries or even our country possess possessing. I have seen that craft taken by air crews who have gotten quite close to it and we've got a lot more questions about why this information isn't more broadly available to the american people if there's stuff flying over our skies and we don't know about it whether it's chinese whether it's unworldly i think we need a lot more transparency and we've actually got a group of congress members together and we're going to be conducting a lot more investigations and trying to get this information before the public so that we can have a lot more assessment of the threat level and the risk level, unquote. So I think very, very interesting uh, comments there just in general. And when you bear in mind that these, these are people who have actually seen a lot more of the classified data than what the public have, very interesting to see that kind of level of engagement with this issue. And... Um, goes on um, in Chris's article to talk about Tim Burchett, another uh, Republican colleague of Gates, and uh, he actually claimed that congressional hearings into UAP are actually being planned at the moment and being discussed within the House House's Oversight Committee, which he's a member of. And um, Tim actually goes on to say, quote, we're going to have hearings. I've talked to Speaker McCarthy. I've talked to the chairman of the oversight committee. I'm on that oversight committee. That's where it's got to happen. We're going to have hearings. We're going to ask them tough questions, unquote. And apparently, that's pretty clear that the, the possibility of hearings is definitely growing. There might be multiple congressional committees involved and things can change behind the scenes. But that is a very interesting indication of what may be to come for the rest of this year. And I think the key thing with this is we've got to remember that we actually had a hearing already. And the hearing that happened last time was pretty huge. I mean, there was discussion of, um, you know, some of the, like Roswell was mentioned. We, we had crash retrievals being mentioned. And there wasn't a great deal in terms of answers. There was a lot of vague kind of dodging of questions and things like that. But the fact is... There were some very interesting things happened uh, in that particular hearing. Like the Wilson document was brought up and added into the the the, the official uh, register and whatnot, which is all very interesting. But what I was about to say is that that was a hearing where most of the people who were asking the questions weren't particularly familiar with the issue. Some of them asked great questions, but some of them were a bit baffled by the whole thing and didn't really know what questions to ask. If we had a hearing 
where you had somebody like Tim Burchett, somebody who's been very vocal about this issue, who's really spoken out about the cover-up and how it's not right and how we need to get these answers out to the American people. And these are people who have seen the classified data as well. Imagine if you get Senator Gillibrand, one of the sort of architects of the some of the legislation that's been going through over the last couple of years to really open this this whole thing up, and, and he's definitely not you know not scared to ask the tough questions. If you get a hearing similar format to the one we had last time, but with some of these people asking the questions, I think that's going to be very interesting indeed. We already know that the Arrow Office has been receiving testimony for some, from some people who'd had um, his, involvement in historic cases, such as nuclear missiles being, uh, you know, shut down at silos, and you know, in one case, the, the you know nuclear missiles being taken out of the sky by unknown objects that have been caught on video. These are all very fascinating. But when you consider that we're going to have potential hearings in a similar format to that last one, but with really determined people actually asking the questions, that is where it starts to get really interesting. And I think there's a very strong possibility we're going to see that this year. And these people are going to be demanding the types of answers that we all want. And I think that can only be a good thing. Now, you know when that's going to be exactly we don't really know the situation behind the scenes can can change quite a lot from one day to the next and the people that i've spoke to there's no real clear indications of all of that but still uh, an extremely fascinating a time to be looking into the ufo issue so there we go i think that's kind of all of the main things that have been going on there are a few other bits and pieces as well um that have been happening but that's kind of the main uh, issues i think discussed uh, i will be back again at some point fairly soon we're going to be doing uh, the round table i think it is uh, next week and um as I say, uh, the episodes might be a little bit less you know, regular in terms of going out every Friday, just for a little while. I would imagine probably only a month or two, and then we'll hopefully get back to you know regular weekly episodes every single week. I've already got some interviews in the pipeline as well, so I should, should have some new interviews and things coming soon too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting year, uh, I think. We've, we've already started off pretty well and we're only a few months in, so I think over the summer we could see some very interesting developments with hearings, more information, and I think um, definitely worth keeping an eye on whoever the weaponized podcast bring out next. And I think there's, uh, as I'd mentioned on a couple of previous shows, I think there's a possibility that Lou Elizondo may have already had an interview recorded. We know that there's been pictures posted from Corbell um, a long time ago now of Lou Elizondo you know, and, and Corbell going into a bar. And let's be honest about it. If you meet up with Lou Elizondo and you're Jeremy Corbell and you've got a camera and a microphone, you're going to record something, aren't you? So I think there's a, f- a fairly strong possibility that one of the future weapon- weaponized episodes might have a Lou Elizondo interview. But I don't know that for sure. I've certainly not heard that from anybody. That's just my own um, kind of, you know, guesswork, really. But I I do think that it's uh, quite likely that that may be the case. So that's worth keeping an eye on. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there for now. So hope everybody's doing well out there as always if you don't already you can support the podcast on patreon if you've carried on listening to this point in the show you're clearly a hardcore listener of the podcast as i always say so uh, thanks very much for sticking around till the end if you're still here at the end probably enjoyed it either that or you've you've lost your phone and you can't find the pause button to turn me off and so there we go and um yeah i just as i've always said you know 
I really love the the uh, the idea that I'm kind of keeping somebody company right now as you're driving home from work or driving to work. And I do the same thing when I'm driving to and from work. You know, I have uh, podcasts on in the car and, you know, sometimes I have a podcast on while I'm going for a walk. And if I'm accompanying you right now on a walk, I hope you enjoy the rest of your walk. If, you, if you're on your commute, I hope you have a good day at work or I hope you had a good day at work, as the, whichever the case may be. Um, but as I say, if you do enjoy the pod, and you clearly must do if you've uh, stuck around till this point, then, um, you know, do consider supporting the podcast podcast on patreon is it really just allows me to put more into the show the more support that i get and i would like to eventually you know dedicate more time to the podcast and uh, you know expand what we do and hopefully do video one day i know I've, I've talked about that a lot in the past but it's just finding the time and you know where there's a will there's a way eventually we'll get all that going and uh, we'll get some video interviews and uh, hopefully make some little documentary films and, and all kinds of other stuff as well so i'm gonna leave it there for now i hope you've enjoyed this episode great to be back and uh, i will be back again very soon uh, i can't exactly say when at this moment in time but uh, it's going to be soonish i've got a few ideas of episodes with dave and um, there's going to be a round table coming in uh, next week or the week after i'm not exactly sure when that'll be but until next time take it easy stay curious I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Podcast.